0: Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Like always, I'm usually your host on this podcast, Jay Ewing. Usually reside on the Erie campus. You'll find me in the neighborhood sometimes. Hey, we're so glad you're listening in and plugging in to this podcast, especially in this awesome series of the book of Revelation. Don't ever put that S on there, please, people. But hey, we got Perry Marshall in the building today. He's gonna be sitting down with us. We're gonna be talking about the seven churches in chapter two and three. But first, do me a huge solid. You can always go to wherever you listen to this podcast and give a five-star review, nothing but five-star review, as well as you can always go to calvarybible.com. Get connected, people. It's so important. Get connected at Calvary. Find out what's happening in your neck of the woods by always visiting calvarybible.com. As well as that we have the Church Center app. You can always go to your app stores and download the Church Center. Set it up so that you can receive the weekly. You can receive the mobile bulletin, submit prayer requests, get connected in your groups. Church Center is a great app. I use it on a weekly basis in my own personal life. But that's all the information and all the advertising you're going to get today because we have Perry and Perry and I go way back but I want you to know some fun things about Perry Marshall. So Perry, welcome to the Erie campus and welcome to the weekly.
1: Thanks Jay. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. People don't normally invite me to things.
0: so. (laughs) This is rare. I love it. You're... You have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> Has your wife told you that? Oh, man.
1: <laughs> you, just, you just busted me. I'm not sure I'm going to have anything left to say now.
0: <laughs> it's so good. Okay, Perry. You were a teenager of the 90s. And, yeah, I was. That late 80s? Early no, 90s? no, no. It was the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Teenager. Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite high school rock song? That you put on repeat oh, on the on man. tape deck. Cause there was no oh. there was CDs, but okay, so
1: I was really man, there were a lot of bands <laughs> I was really into. Am I you really want me to talk oh, about totally. This? Yes, yeah. Uh, this is a church podcast. Uh, yeah, okay, man, but we're real people. We're I genuine was, human beings. I was really into a number of bands. Um Tesla <laughs> oh, was yeah. one of them. I loved Tesla. Um <laughs> Man, my friends, mm-hmm. whom I hung out with, um, were into Metallica, Van Halen. I yeah. listened to a lot of Van Halen, too. Totally. Um, Winger was another group. Yeah. I listened to um, mm, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yep, you did.
0: Yeah. Did you roller skate to those songs, or did you like sit at the pool hall oh, on man. those songs? Bowling I had a alley. moment.
1: I had a moment. This was, um, <laughs> I believe, fourth grade. Maybe fifth grade. No, it was fourth grade. I'm roller skating next to this girl Mm -hmm. who I'm like... I think this is the first girl I ever held hands with. Right. And we are roller skating to live in on a prayer. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And then I wiped out. (laughs) And I... I'm I thought I like broke my arm yeah it
0: turns out I was okay but (laughs) um,
1: I have a vivid memory of dancing to living on a prayer and then you know wipe out
0: well it didn't break your arm but it did break your spirit yes (laughs) good. I see what you did there yeah yeah, that's good that's really good man that's awesome thanks for sharing you know I just introduced my kids this morning on the way to school we go every everyone gets the opportunity to play their favorite music on the way to school so, you know, I sit through some Star Wars music on oh, Monday, yeah. right? I sit through some not Disney princess music, but in that genre on Tuesday. Today again, I'm like, hey, it's my day. Yeah. So we listen to Creedence Clearwater Watery Water Revival. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fortunate Sun. Like, I mean, that's yes. a great oh, <laughs> morning yeah. song. that does just get you going, right? It will. And then and then I introduced them I just don't to Peaches, the United States presidents you remember (laughs) all right yeah and it was hilarious (laughs) they we listen to queen sometimes i'm a big queen fan i grew up with queen that was like my cds you know back in high school oh yeah all my friends were listening to all these cool bands and i was like yeah i'm listening to classic rock still see and i'm more
1: from the era of mixtapes
0: yeah yeah. yeah yeah totally but okay do you remember what a tracks your parents were listening to back when you're in high school
1: well i'll put it this way like they're they're like country Mm -hmm. so um dolly parton and yeah we i remember watching a lot of hee-haw yeah um (laughs) lawrence welk i think came on right before or right after hee-haw yeah that was a saturday night kind of routine um so like charlie pride um Conway Twitty. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Is that, that doesn't even sound right, but that a human being would be named that. But I think that was the
0: name. Uh, yeah, there were, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of the old country guys. Yeah. Music really has been really important in my life. That's great. And like my, my dad was very uh, into music. Yeah. And so we listened to a lot of different genres. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, I mean, in a week, I can listen to the whole gamut. Like, today, I'll probably listen to Mozart. All right. Tomorrow, maybe some slow jazz. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's all over the place yep. for me. I can relate. The only genre I don't really listen to is rap. Yeah. But because. I that's have that because, in my house. Yeah. It's mostly
1: good, clean rap. Yeah. Because um, there are some there are some good artists right now who
0: are um, Christian artists who. Yeah. Uh, so. Totally. And that's, I'll listen to them when my friends are in the car. Or, yeah. Yeah. But um, I think music is so important to our culture. I, You totally. know, when we talk about, you talk about like 17th, 18th century poetry, people learn how to read poetry. That was like their entertainment, right? right. Poetry now is music for us. It's mm-hmm. in the genre of music. Yeah. It's put to lyrics. Except for people who still love poetry and they're well, offended. Yeah, right totally. Now, but it was very true. <laughs> but as our cultural sort of anthems. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, we all have music that was in our time periods yeah but i think that's really important when we remember the book of revelation Mm. is it's very lyrical it is i don't know if the first century would have called it that but in the 21st century it's a good word to describe what's going on sometimes Mm. does that help it helps trans it helps cover that gap yeah for me
1: i've i agree jay and i've Um, I've had this conversation with other people before and I've explained to them that uh, we can get caught in trying to read all of the Bible the same way Mm -hmm. if you don't account for the different types of writing, different types of literature that are in the Bible. And it is kind of like you're square dancing to Metallica if you try to read (laughs) Revelation (laughs) the same
0: way you would read the epistles or one of the gospels. Yeah, that's really helpful to sort of Square dancing to Metallica. That's really helpful to understand sort of biblical writings, yeah, literature, genres of literature. Yeah. So, you know, we're in this book of Revelation. How many, how many questions does it raise for you when you hear that we're going to go through the whole entire book? Of what questions are raised? Uh,
1: I think one of the biggest questions for me is just how to how to preach this present it teach it whatever word you want to use in a way so that um, it's genuinely true to the text Mm -hmm. true to the message um, which is really difficult because we are talking about a different style of writing Mm -hmm. and that so that's that's probably the biggest challenge second of all though too is to Um, help people not grow discouraged in all of the all of that because it's really easy to just get Mm -hmm. lost and to feel like well this is just overwhelming because it's so strange to me so how do we encourage people that well it is strange to us we want to acknowledge that there's no way around it Um, but it probably was not strange at all to the original hearers oh yeah it was it was a understood form understood style genre whatever word you want to use and to them um they would have they would have grasped what john was writing to them and so how do we how do we help bridge that gap today it's a it's a significant challenge
0: so when you say that what was going on in the world that they actually understood what john was saying is yeah yeah, what that's sort of a deeper question on that it is
1: but it's it's I think we can answer it this way. So if you look in the Old Testament, of course, we think of the book of Daniel as a prime example. You have a style of writing in the book of Daniel that is very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is one clue. You also see passages in Ezekiel, Isaiah, the other in Zechariah, the other prophets that have similar kinds of language in it. But If you look outside the Bible too, and I want to be careful how I say this, Um, I don't mean like for guidance and authority in your life the same way we look at Scripture, but there are just documents from the Jewish world outside of Scripture that were written around the same time as the book of Revelation and in between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament that match this style very closely. And so that is one of the first clues we have that, hey, this style was not so strange to them like it is to us.
0: So would it be fair to say it was like a popular style yeah. around this time?
1: Yeah, I think it is fair to say that. And there are some things, um, some messages that can be conveyed through the style. Like there's a, a guy who was kind of an intellectual from, um, I believe it was the 70s, named Marshall McLuhan. And he, he has this saying, this quote that he's famous for called the medium is the message mm. and he was talking about it in terms of like how if you look at television for example or radio different forms of communication convey a message just in and of a, in and of themselves like you know television obviously is very visual yeah and where radio is based off of words like this podcast is so part of the message that we can communicate depends on how we're communicating it so apocalyptic literature which is what revelation is in part has its own kind of beautiful way of just packaging the message that you're trying to convey in a way that you can't get across the same way through um, say a narrative like the gospels or um, the book of Psalms and just pure poetic um, language. So there's, there's a beautiful message that the style of writing that we're reading in revelation can communicate in a way that other forms of writing aren't as good at. Yeah, that's really
0: helpful, Perry. Thanks for sort of deep diving into that. So when we talk about the last two weeks where we've been chapter two and three of Revelation, Mm -hmm. there's these seven churches. You put together a helpful guide that I'm going to drop in the show notes, but it's at calvarybible.com slash discussions. So that's calvarybible.com slash discussions. That's not only where our sermon notes for life group leaders or group leaders resides but it's also you put together sort of a helpful guide of the historical realities of these seven churches is that a good way to say it
1: yeah it was attempt to just kind of summarize the messages
0: okay to each one um as i saw here on the erie campus thomas put together a map that makes sort of the trajectory of how it's written and sort of how it would probably gotten around to the churches, the seven churches, very, very, t- contextual to the time period. Right. So John's on Patmos; he's in exile, writing to the seven churches, and Jesus has. There's a lot of red letters in these two chapters. Right. Yeah. Probably, would you say there's more red letters in these two chapters than the entire book? Well, within the
1: yeah, I mean, definitely in in these two chapters, the letters or the messages to the seven churches, it's um, all red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, so yeah, there's a just by visually, you know, flipping through the book, you can see like, oh wow, this is where we hear from Jesus directly.
0: Directly, yeah, and then we, so Jesus is directly talking to these churches.
1: Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Jesus is directly communicating a message or he's communicating a message that is directly for them, but he is communicating it through this specific means and style that includes the fact that John is the one who is recording the messages for them. Hmm. So it's directly through, John is like the intermediary or the one who's the messenger to deliver this message to them.
0: That's really good. Well, it makes sense because John was one of the closest individuals to Jesus when he was on earth, his earthly ministry. Right. But you would, that makes sense to me. So I have no problem with you saying it that way. So we have these churches. We have Ephesus, Smyrna. Let me turn my page. We have Pergamon. Mm-hmm. We have Thyatira. Mm-hmm. And we have Sardis. And Philippi, and then Laodicea. Yeah, yep, Philadelphia. Sorry, Laodicea. Philippi. I no, said no. Philadelphia. Yeah, yes. No. Thank you. I know what you mean. Yeah, um, let's let's just go through these backgrounds of these seven churches. What what sticks out to you about Ephesus? What what is historic? Maybe that sticks out to you. Interesting, um, helpful as we read it. But what really sort of sticks out to you in the Ephesus?
1: Yeah, when I think of the city of Ephesus, um, I would just say it's it's incredible in the sense that it was home to one of the, what we would consider now the seven ancient wonders or the seven wonders of the ancient world, rather. Right. Um, the Temple of Artemis there. And it's just a an example that, wow, there was a lot of the Roman system going on in the city in terms of its idolatry, paganism, Worship of many different gods. There are other temples too, that um, are there, like Temple of Hadrian, an emperor um, mm-hmm. at, that actually reigned after Revelation was written. But you can you can see that there was a lot going on in this city that would have been very impressive mm-hmm. for the people of the city. And you know, when you read what the messages from Jesus to that city, you read about how they were committed. To standing firm in truth, from what it sounds like. Right. But in the process of that, they, their love grew cold. Yeah.
0: Totally. Which can happen. It's a really great warning to any Christian. It's the longer you're in the faith, the right. easier it is to lose your first love. Yes. So, but in you know, Ephesus as well as has we know a lot about Ephesus because of the New Testament. Paul was there. Yeah. There's a, a book, another book written, written to the Ephesians. Yeah. Acts describes what is going on in Ephesus, um, especially through Paul's ministry. So it's a really important city for the first century to realize who they are and what they're doing in the world. Sure. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Smyrna. Um, you know, what do we know about Smyrna that is super interesting?
1: Yeah. One of the unique things, um, I don't know if this qualifies as super interesting, yeah. but one of the unique things is that the ruins of this city are now kind of, um, obscured a little bit by the fact that it's a modern day city, Izmir, um, yeah, Turkey Yeah, So you can visit it. So you can, you can visit it and you can visit Ephesus too. Yeah. Um, I've never been personally, but, um, both cities are, you know, have ruins that you can visit. You could go and stub your toe on some of the ruins that are yeah. part of old buildings there but the difference is that this is a metropolitan area in our modern world now but smyrna is interesting because it like philadelphia is um a city that doesn't receive any kind of rebuke Mm -hmm. from jesus so they are commended because they're persevering in the face of great pressure and i think one of the cool messages from that for us is just thinking of the fact that um living a faithful life is not
0: about living in circumstances that are ideal. Yep. Totally. That's wonderful. So you can also Google Bishop Polycarp. Right. And you will get some really great Christian biography of him. Yeah. So he was one of the earliest bishops. When we talk about bishop, how would you explain a bishop in the first, second century?
1: Um, I think it's, I mean, similar to what a, or who a bishop is today in um, different um, parts of the church that have bishops as part of their structure. But it's somebody who who has a greater level of oversight than just one specific local congregation. Mm-hmm. So you might think of them as the regional manager. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great nod to Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. All right, so right. we're now into Pergamum. Pergaman. How yeah. do you pronounce it? Pergamum. Pergamum. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's, what sticks out to you uh, with this city? I mean, it was the capital of a province in Asia. When we say Asia, it doesn't feel like Asia should be that far east. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So back then, back in the day,
1: as people say, um, Asia was what we today consider to be Asia Minor. Mm-hmm. So modern-day Turkey, that was... Um, the region that was part of the region that was known as Asia. And um, so one of the things about Pergamum is just it, like Ephesus, like all of these cities has all kinds of evidence from the ruins, the excavations of a once thriving city where a lot of different images, structures have been uncovered that were devoted to the worship of false gods. Yeah. So you can just imagine the pressure that would come from living in a city where everywhere you look, you have reminders of the presence of these false gods. And they're there because the people were engaged in actively worshiping these and acknowledging these false gods. So it's you have the pressure of that it's difficult to be a believer and stand out when it feels like you're constantly going against the flow and that's kind of what we read about when we read what jesus has to say that you know many have been faithful yeah uh, which is great but some have followed the false teaching and moral compromise and idolatry that the city was wrapped up in
0: yeah and you would imagine like you said think of pergamum as like if you went down to um What's a good capital that would have lots of foreign gods and compromise? Like, you went to Las Vegas. Yeah. Right? Like, how hard would it be to be a Christian living on the strip in Las Vegas? I can imagine
1: it would be difficult.
0: Right. So, that's sort of maybe more government. So, maybe Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. maybe... um, I think you could Downtown you Denver. could pick any city yeah. and you could um, find ways that there's overlap. Totally. So they're just under the immense pressure of the culture around them. Yep. And they the bad is that they've some have followed false teaching, right? To moral yeah. Immoral compromise and idolatry. Yep. So how do you how do you hold fast then, Perry? How is he? How are they encouraged to hold fast? I should say.
1: Yeah, um, they need to repent. I mean, that's that's yeah. the first the first call here is to repent, which of course just means to turn away, turn around from the direction you're going, and um, face go in the direction of Christ instead. Um, and you know, this looks different. And this is really cool with these seven messages because I feel like they're so relatable in the sense that in some cases people are feeling pressure mm-hmm. and that's what's leading them to walk away and to make compromise. Some of them are just really comfortable. Like yeah. they love life probably. Yeah. They're very comfortable with where they're at. Maybe they're well off in terms of um, financial means and, and, that has created a level of indifference. And that's another way that we can also compromise where we just decide that we love life. Right. Like, um, it's really strange for Jesus to speak about things like hating your life and taking up a cross. Like we, we can't even imagine what that might mean and just wonder what Jesus even has in mind when he says those things, because we find life here. So satisfying. Yeah, that's, another indicator that, okay, maybe we're a little out of step
0: with what Jesus wants our lives to be about. That's so good, Perry. Okay. We have Thyatira, home of a various trade guilds, sort of in the trade sector Mm -hmm. of the Roman world. What sticks out to you about Thyatira?
1: Yeah. So let's just go down that path for a little bit. Um, Part of the Roman system was that you had all of this pagan worship that took place in these cities and when we talk about worship it's not like a distinct part of people's lives like it is for us today where we have a a spot on our calendars that's blocked off sunday mornings you know wednesday nights whatever that's devoted to worship in the first century roman empire what you had more was that worship is infused into every aspect of life so social gatherings um, commerce trade part of our job, you know, it's all mixed in there. So you might be at a meeting for, let's say you're some kind of a stone cutter and you, you're you part of a guild, a group, an association of other stone cutters. During your gathering, somebody may offer a sacrifice to one of the Roman gods. And that's just a part of it because they're asking for that God's favor over your business so that you would be successful and prosperous. Mm-hmm. So you're a Christian stone cutter. Do you participate in that? Do you leave the room? Do you just watch from a distance? Do you say something and protest? Those are the kinds of questions that they would have faced. And, you know, Thyatira, that's one of the one of the issues that they probably had. We hear with Thyatira that, the, that they're following, or some of them are following Jezebel, a code word that is supposed to immediately make people think about the Old Testament.
0: First Kings 16. Okay, there you, you go. You should read.
1: Yeah, so the, the wife of Ahab... Um, and she is just completely bent on evil so as that image is in the reader's minds they're probably thinking about oh are we caught up in that kind of level of evil because we know the stories of Jezebel and how corrupt she was how wicked she was and you know that would immediately call to mind some questions about how you're living your life what kind of practices you're involved in and um there can be a problem. This is another area of compromise of just tolerance, mm-hmm. tolerating things that you should not tolerate, and um, of course, when you go down that road, even in our world today, that opens you up to all kinds of criticisms, all kinds of pressure um, because we love tolerance, yeah. sort of
0: yeah, we claim that we love <laughs> tolerance yeah we lo- yeah <laughs> we love tolerance until it makes us uncomfortable, yeah, yeah, so we have sardis Sardis. Um, yeah. Super interesting city, right? Had it some is. great advantages geographically. Yeah. But also was a producer of wool, mm-hmm. the height about the end of the first century. Yeah. What we know, the amazing gymnasium they had yeah. in the second century. Yeah. Just an incredible. You can also see Roman roads still there too. Yep. Yeah. Did you know when I was in Budapest, Hungary this summer, I could see a Roman outpost? Yeah, that's it's amazing. How crazy is that? Yeah. All the way, this is it's interesting. Were there any Roman guards still there? <laughs> yeah, totally. Not. But anyways, it's super interesting. But Sardis mm-hmm. has these leftovers of some of the some really great archaeological sites. Yeah, it, it
1: does, and it was a great city, flourishing city. Um One of the things that, that does stand out that you already mentioned, it was built on this highest high point of a hill so it had 1500 foot cliffs on three sides Mm -hmm. and that was a great strategic advantage but even so um the city on two different occasions in its history had been attacked where they had they had lost their vigilance and it's just interesting how the history of this each one of these cities seems to play into some way into the state of the church oh yeah so they've lost their vigilance spiritually and that's the connection that's made and um Probably due in part to the prosperity of the city and the affluence that it's had. And um, because of that, they need to repent. They need to turn from that. Yet, um, here's one of the cool things that stands out as well. And this stands out in other churches too. Many of them were unfaithful. And that's, the, that's what Jesus leads with in his message to them. But it says there are some yet in sardis who have not soiled their garments who have not compromised and so that's should be an encouragement to us to think like even if we feel like we are surrounded by unfaithfulness that doesn't mean that we're destined to unfaithfulness ourselves we can we can stand out we can live differently
0: yeah totally i completely agree that's amazing perry and it's a good reminder too that when we read revelation he's just not always rebuking us he's also encouraging us oh definitely in, even in that, okay, Philadelphia. Yep. Which I think it has to be said, the Greek word for brotherly love is right. Philadelphia. Yeah. And it's the city in which is doing well in brotherly love. It is. Yeah. Which means, I mean, it's just like the Gospels, when Jesus talks in parables, he uses present day metaphors, mm-hmm. examples, to explain spiritual realities. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Very true. Yeah, and they're, they're another example, the second example of these seven where they have not compromised, so they don't receive any kind of rebuke. and um, yet, But they're struggling. They're suffering. Yep. They feel like they're small, which probably means, or, or powerless is what the message says, uh, which probably means that it's a smaller community and they feel marginalized probably in their city. Yeah. But they've been faithful.
0: That's pretty amazing. I, I love that... Um, It's just like one of the better churches and one of the more fun to read and to really be encouraged by. Right. Okay. You should also check out the Roman Theater in Philadelphia. It's pretty amazing.
1: Take your word for it.
0: Okay. Uh, Laodicea, which is probably my favorite. If I'm going to pick seven of them, I love Laodicea. Why is that? I love the story of the two hot springs and cold springs coming into Laodicea. Explain that.
1: Yeah, so the, when he says you're neither cold nor hot, um, that's a metaphor that launches off the, the message there. And what you had were two nearby cities. Um, one is Colossae. If you think of the letter of Colossians that Paul wrote, that's the same city. So you have water in, in Colossae was um, cold. They had um, a cold water supply there. So it's known as a place that has this water supply that's, you know, you think about a cold drink it's refreshing, right? right? And helpful in that way. Um, but there's a, a second nearby city called Hierapolis and Hierapolis was known for having hot springs, just the opposite. And hot springs, um, even in our day today, you know, it's thought to have some healing properties and it's just soothing to be in a hot springs. So um, what's happening here with this opening message is it's an image that's playing off of those two different water sources. Yep. Laodicea, more than likely had a water supply as it's suggested by lukewarm that was between those two. And also from excavations that have been done by archeologists, they've just um, been able to tell that it seems like the water supply there had a lot of minerals in it. Mm -hmm. So it was really heavy water in that regard. Probably didn't taste good. Some have suggested that it might've even been used to induce vomiting. Yep. So cold is useful. Hot is useful. The lukewarm stuff is not useful <laughs> for either one of those ways. So the the point is Jesus is saying, I've I know your works and they're useless. Mm-hmm. That's a harsh
0: message. It is harsh messages.
1: Yeah. Um, and then he explains, he unpacks it because that, that would kind of just leave you in limbo wondering, okay, so my use my works are useless. But the fact is, um, they, they were very self-reliant spiritually. It yeah. was a very rich city, had a vibrant industry, a lot going for it. And probably again, the church is matching the spirit of the city mm-hmm. and the, the church had taken on also an attitude of self-reliance.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so this is a great reminder, even maybe of all the seven churches, this one specifically Thomas mentioned, probably most like Erie, self-reliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm has enough money to help itself yeah. and not spiritually understand its spiritual need yeah. for things. Yeah, it's very relatable. Yeah, very relatable to our day. Yeah, so out of the seven churches, we, we really read, which we're really highlighting here, is these are real churches, real people and real communities, which we can find examples of great faithfulness, of great suffering, and of failure. Right. And that's really good for us to sort of meditate on. And make sure we're paying attention when we read these two chapters in the book of Revelation.
1: And that's the invitation to us because at the end of each one of these messages, we have the line, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to
0: the churches. Yeah. So it's a call for us to listen well and, as you said, to meditate on it. So, Perry, as we in this podcast, what are some things you would hope the people at Calvary do through this book series? What do you hope they would sort of step into or pick up as we journey in the book of Revelation? Well, I hope this becomes self-evident
1: as we go through it. I know we've mentioned it early on in the series, but I I hope that we would begin to see that, um, first of all, that the book of Revelation is not about trying to decode when Jesus is coming back or trying to decode all the signs of the end of the world. Um, I I think those are actually distracting kinds of pursuits as we read this book. Instead, I think this book is primarily about worship, Mm -hmm. worship in the midst of a world that does not acknowledge the power, the sovereignty, the existence of the one true God. And I hope we would begin to see our own situation, our own day in the text, and understand that we too are... In this question or this battle, um, I don't know exactly what the right word is there, but this we have a choice, just like the people in these seven churches had, of are we going to compromise or are we going to be faithful? Mm. And the call of the book of Revelation is that we would live faithful lives as we await the return of Christ.
0: That's so good to be reminded of, Perry. Thanks so much for sitting down with us, explaining. You should really go to calvarybible.com slash discussions click on the chapter two and three explanations of the churches printed off put in your bible you're going to be blessed by doing that i guarantee perry's done a lot of hard work towards that been really faithful in that as well as if you want to listen to a great sermon you can always go to calvarybible.com perry preached in boulder he's going to preach in thornton this next week and he's a really good dude i'll bet out like. later <laughs> I'll hey Calvary we're so grateful that you're listening like always we'd love to hear from you you can always write us at the weekly at calvarybible.com beyond that we hope that you have a great week remember the same thing that the church churches in Revelation need to remember be reminded of let me say it that way Jesus knows exactly what is in front of us today what trials tribulations joys disappointments we experience and let's stay faithful together in that endeavor of being faithful to him amen all right talk to you later calvary